Scripture this morning is from Hebrews, the first and second chapters, Hebrews 1, 5 through 2, 4. As we're uh, turning there, let me say, uh, we will not uh, cover everything in this passage. There's a lot in there. So today will be uh, part one uh, of this message, and as I... I have stopped at a different place than I had anticipated. I'm going to change the last hymn this morning to number 525, A Child of the King. I will announce it, so everything is uh, off the bulletin today. But if you would please stand for the reading of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And which of the angels has he ever said, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit, we pray that you would come and speak to us, that you would break the bread of life to us, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ, the living bread which came down from heaven, that we might have eternal life. So come and feed your sheep this morning in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Jesus, our God and our salvation. And I reckon this is part one this morning. This passage is somewhat complicated, but it has a very clear application to us. As we have noted The author of Hebrews is writing to believers from a Jewish background. That's why the book is called 
Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew people who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah. But clearly there was a danger of these believers turning away from Jesus. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Like Paul Simon's old song, Slip, Sliding Away. And so our author writes to these Hebrew Christians well versed and steeped in the Old Testament to warn and encourage them not to slide away. So he piles up passage after passage from the Old Testament, passages they knew well and had known from childhood to prove to them the absolute superiority and majesty of Jesus Christ. Now he spends most of this passage before us proving from the Old Testament that Jesus is greater than angels. Now this was key for Hebrew believers who knew that angels had been instrumental in the revelation of the law to Moses, their sacred scripture. But for us today, our reaction might be, you preaching to the choir. We know Jesus is greater than angels. To modern American in 2019, I might have more trouble convincing him that there are angels than that Jesus is greater than angels. So perhaps we at Clover ARP Church don't need to be convinced that Jesus is greater than angels this morning, so why bother with this passage? And why bother with this passage more than once? All Scripture is profitable. All of it. This passage teaches us a lot about the Old Testament and how it speaks of Jesus and I expect that's something we could do to learn more about. And most of all, this passage shows us the glory and majesty and supremacy of Jesus Christ, our God and our salvation. Now let's look at the passage. At least part of it, what we can get through in a message. First, we see the glorified Son. The glorified Son. Look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now verse 5 there draws two Old Testament quotations. The first is Psalm 2 and verse 7, which says... I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now Psalm 2, it speaks of the Messiah as God's son. Psalm 2 begins with the kings of the earth conspiring together against the Lord and against his anointed, that is the Messiah, the kings of the earth. They want to overthrow God and the Messiah. But it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs at them. 
And it ends with a warning to kiss the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Don't oppose the son of God. Don't seek to overthrow him. Surrender to him. And there in the middle, Psalm 2-7, the Lord says the words quoted here in Hebrews 1-5, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that raises a question. When did the Lord beget the son? Of course, Jesus was born according to the flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was the Son long before that. He is the eternal Son of God. God did not create the Son. Remember in Hebrews 1-2, it says that God created the world through his Son. John 1-3 says all things were made by him. And without him, that's Jesus, the word, without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now again, I remember... One time I had some Saturday morning visitors. They told me, as they always do, that Jesus was created. They said Jehovah created him. He was the first and best and favorite, most beloved thing Jehovah ever created. But Jesus, the Son, was created. And I took my visitors to the verses we just mentioned. It says that all things were created by the Son. Not without Him, nothing that was created was created without Jesus. So I asked my visitors. It says Jesus created everything that was created. So if Jesus was created, that means He created Himself. How could someone create himself? He'd already have to exist. Well, that didn't go anywhere, as you could imagine. Jesus was not created. He is eternal God. God the Son. But here in Hebrews 1.5, quoting Psalm 2.7, it says... Today have I begotten you. What day did the Father beget the Son? We know that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is eternally begotten, but this says there was a specific day when the Son was begotten. The answer is found in the second Old Testament quotation in Hebrews 1.5. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 7. You might want to turn 
that one up, 2 Samuel chapter 7. While you're turning back there, let me give you some context. You remember David wanted to build a house for the Lord. He wanted to build a temple. But the Lord told David, you will not build a house for me. I'll build a house for you. Of course, the house of David that God would build for him was his family, his royal dynasty. Now let's read what the Lord says to David beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now notice verse 14. 2 Samuel 7, 14 says that David's son, who would be king, would be to God a son. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When David... And then later his son Solomon became king of Israel. Part of being king was becoming the son of God. Not divine sons of God, nothing like that. But it was an official position as the head of God's holy nation as king to have the official status of son of God. When Jesus, who had eternally been the Son of God, the fully, equally divine second person of the Trinity, when he was raised from the dead, exalted, ascended to heaven, what happened? He sat down where? On the throne of God. The right hand of the majesty on high. He was enthroned as king. He was the son of David, the king. And when the son of David became king, he became son of God. And so Jesus, when he sat down on the throne... He was enthroned as king and declared to be the son of God. Turn one, one more time back to the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Why? Cut my message short today. We're going all over the Bible. Don't want to over, overwhelm us. This is enough. 
Romans 1, in verse 3, Paul here, he is describing the gospel. He is setting out as he begins Romans what the gospel is, and this is the gospel. Romans 1, 3, the gospel is concerning his son, God's son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise to David. We read in 2 Samuel 7 that his son would be king and would reign on the throne forever. You know, the part about your son will be king and when he sins, I'll discipline him, that was fulfilled in Solomon. But the part about your son will reign forever, Solomon did not do that. That is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we read here in Romans 1, who was the son of David. He was declared not only to be the son of David, but he was declared to be the son of God in power. When? In his resurrection. By the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been the Son of God forever. But he became the enthroned Son of God. As King, as the God-man descended from David according to the flesh. In his glorification, in his resurrection, and his enthronement. And so there was a day that God begat His Son. Not His divine person and nature. But the man, Christ Jesus, was exalted and declared to be the Son of God, the King, enthroned in His glory and His exaltation. So we see Jesus, the glorified Son. And secondly and finally, in this passage, we see Jesus, our salvation. Back on the text, Hebrews chapter 2, Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now we can only cover so much information in one message, but the point is that we should not neglect so great a salvation as we have offered to us in Jesus Christ. What is 
our great salvation. Well, let's consider this aspect of our salvation. One aspect of our salvation we frequently overlook. Jesus has been the perfect Son of God. As a man, the one who was the eternal divine Son became the perfect human Son. And Jesus said, I do always the things that please my Father. You see, Jesus himself earned our sonship. Jesus secured our adoption. He accomplished our adoption into the family of God the Father. You know, our catechism says that adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all privileges of the sons of God. We have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God because Jesus, by his perfect sonship, his perfect obedience to the Father, secured for us all rights and privileges appertaining thereunto. By a life of perfect obedience to the Father, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross for our sins. By faith in Him, we share in His sonship, not His divine sonship. We're not incorporated into the blessed Trinity, but we share in His human sonship, which was consummated on the throne of God in His glorification. Friends, we have the opportunity to be children of God, royal children with all rights and privileges of the sons of God. This is what the Son of God has done for us and it's what He offers to us. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.